Well, good morning. It is good to see y'all here this morning. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Jet, if you would, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. That's a little different than where we've been being on Sunday mornings. Um, we are going to start a little bit of a different series this summer. Uh, I know that there will be a couple of times that I'm out chaperoning kids camp and uh, going to the Southern Baptist Convention, there will be a couple of times that you are out. And so I didn't want to continue going through, working through a series, a weekly series, where if you weren't here, you felt like you had missed something. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians throughout the summer, but we won't be working our way through the entire book. I will just be going through select passages in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's a book I haven't preached from since I've been here. And so we're just going to hit several different places throughout the book. We won't see all of it at this point in time, but we will eventually. Uh, I did want to say for our children that stayed in here, we do have children's bulletins for anybody else that needs help uh, following along this morning. You can grab one of those as well. There are a couple of uh, questions to answer on the back of that and so uh, to kind of help guide you in following along with the sermon this morning. We have those on the back table if you would like one or your child would like one. Uh, but as we look here at 1 Corinthians, I wanted to still, even though we're not going through the entire book as a series, I did want to at least give you an introduction to the book. I want us to look and see who is writing here, who are they writing to, right? Any time that we're studying Scripture, these are questions we need to ask. These are things that we need to, to seek to try and understand. And so we're going to see that, and then, as I said, we'll start working our way through different texts in the book. But let's begin at the very beginning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sososthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together before we look at this text. Lord, we're reminded every time that we open your scriptures, Father, that we need you. We need you to understand these things. We need your spirit to help us to apply these things. Lord, we need you to give us a desire to be the people that you've called us to be. So, Lord, as we look at your word today, Father, help me to be clear in the things that I say and help them to be clearly the things that you have already said. Help us to grasp them in our minds and hearts and apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so what we see here in the introduction, right, it's very clear who's writing this, who they're writing to. We see from the outset, Paul, he's, he's addressing not somebody else. He's giving his name. So he's saying, Paul, I'm the one that's writing this. He refers to himself as an apostle that is called uh, of Christ Jesus. And there is somebody that's with him, Sosothenes, uh, a brother that's with him who we know very little about. Why the name is in there, obviously the Corinthians would have known who this was, but we didn't. So we're not going to spend much time on Sosthenes. But I think we're most of us pretty familiar with Paul. This is the man who was Saul, who was persecuting the church, the New Testament church, who was uh, then spoken to by God, who saw the blinding light, who lost his vision, 
who the Lord called to be one of his apostles, who then began the great work of sharing the gospel around all the known world and wrote many letters to many churches that make up a good portion of our New Testament. And that's what we have here. We see in verse 2 who he's writing to, to the church of God that is in Corinth. So Corinth is the city. Paul is the writer, and he's writing to the Christians in the church there. Now, this is a church that Paul knew well because we'll see this later on in Acts when we move back to Acts this fall. Paul actually planted this church. In Acts 18, we see that Paul went to the city of Corinth where there was no Christian church, and he started this church, and he stayed there for a while to make sure that it was uh, well-grounded and that it got off the ground well. And so this is a church. These are people that Paul knows well and he knows personally. And so he's writing them this letter. And in verse 2, there are two different ideas that we see in this introduction that will really be what today's introductory sermon on 1 Corinthians hinge on. It's the idea of sanctification or holiness. Those two are going to go together, sanctification and holiness, and the idea of unity. So these are two things that Paul is talking about here. These are two things that Paul is going to talk about, talk about throughout this book. We'll see a couple different times. So I want us to be familiar with those. Look, look again at verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and so we see here this idea of sanctification, right? He says, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. So I guess the, the initial question is, what are we talking about? What is Paul talking about here when he says those that have been sanctified? Well, what he's doing is he's reminding these Christians of who they should be. He's reminding them of what their life should look like. So let me give you the definition of sanctified. It's being made clean, being made sinless, being purified, and set apart for service to God. So the first three of those really along the same thing, right? Being made clean, being made sinless, having your sins taken away, being made purified, so going from evil to being righteous, um, being sinful to being sinless. But it also carries another idea, and it's the idea of being set apart for service to God. And so when he says sanctified, that's what he's reminding these people. And I want you and me to be reminded of this this morning as well. Brothers and sisters, we have, for those of us that have faith in Jesus Christ, for those of us that have become Christians, we have been sanctified in standing before God. In, in God's eyes, you and I are sinless. You and I are pure. Right, And that's good news. That's something for us to be excited about this morning. So we are purified in God's eyes. But we are also being sanctified outwardly. So inwardly, we've already been sanctified. Right, Inwardly, all of our sins have been taken away. We're not guilty of any of our sins. But outwardly, this is a process that plays throughout our whole life where we go from being very, very completely sinful when we're first coming to Christ and then we become Christians, and throughout our whole life, we're hopefully gradually moving to a place where we are less sinful and more like Christ, right? So this process of sanctification inwardly happens instantaneously when we have faith in Christ, but outwardly, it's a process, right? 
We don't just immediately quit sinning altogether, but it's something that I pray that as you spend more time being a Christian, that sin is something that you do less and less and less. So there's the idea of sanctified. These people have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. They've been made pure. They've been made sinless in Christ Jesus. They have and we have. There's also the idea of holiness. Now, if you have the English Standard Version that I do, there in verse 2 it says, Sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together... And, and then he continues, but this is one of the places that I think the NIV has a translation of this that really helps. If anybody has the NIV this morning, yours says, instead of saying called to be saints, it says called to be his holy people. And so that's the same idea, right? Saints, whenever we say the saints, we're not talking about the football team. If I'm saying saints in a good manner, good manner I'm never talking about the football team. You can just be clear about that. I'm not saying anything good about them. So if I'm saying anything good about saints, what am I talking about? I'm talking about God's holy people. Now, nobody quit listening to me. I'm just joking. God's holy people. The people that God, and the, the idea of something that's holy is something that has been set apart, right? It carries much the same idea that that last part of the definition of sanctified does. Whenever God takes something and he claims that is mine, that is something that I am choosing to use for my purpose. We say that thing is holy. So in the Old Testament, there were many things, right? The temple was holy. It was only meant to be used for the purpose of God's purpose. Whatever he asked them to do at the temple, that was his temple. The priests were the priests of God. They were holy. The instruments that they used at the temple, they weren't to be used for anything else other than praise and worship and the glory of God. They were His holy things. But what we see here, what we're reminded of here, brothers and sisters, is that when you become a Christian, you are also holy. God has chosen us and set us apart to be His. Now, just the other day, Chip was eating. Uh, it, was a, it was a big thing of mixed nuts. And some of y'all are this person, too. And so as I see him eating the mixed nuts, you know what he's doing? He's picking out the cashews. He, he was eating, and so then whenever I come and pick up the thing of mixed nuts, there's almonds and peanuts. And I said, where are all the cashews? Well, they've all been picked apart. Chip said, these cashews are holy. I'm setting these apart for my purpose and my purpose only. In very much the same way, in a less joking fashion, that's what we have as Christians. God says, you are mine. You no longer are here for your own purpose. You no longer are here for the purpose of other people. Your main goal in life is no longer to be famous or to be popular or to, to have lots of money. Your purpose is to worship me, to bring glory to me, to point other people to me, to do what I have called you to do. So, so Paul starts out here strong. He says, listen, brothers and sisters, you have been made sinless by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because you have been made sinless by the blood of Jesus Christ, you now belong to God. You are His. We are His. We are God's holy, sanctified people. Point one this morning. Christians belong to God, and this should be noticeable. 
It's another thing to point. He's not just telling them these things so that they'll know it, right? It's important that you know that you're sanctified. It's important that you know what sanctified means. It's important that you know that you're holy and that you know what holy means. But he's also giving them this in practical application. You are sinless, so your life should appear that way to other people. You are holy and set apart to serve God, and that should be noticeable to everyone around us. I think he emphasizes that as well at the beginning of verse 2 when he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Right? He's reminding them whose they are. They are gods. They just happen to be in Corinth. Right? So these people aren't first and foremost Corinthians. They're first and foremost Christians. They are God's people. This is God's church. It just happens to be in in Corinth. Just like us, we're not first and foremost uh, Lincoln County residents, right? Or uh, Brookhavenites, however you say that, or or Wessonites. That's not the main thing that you are. The first thing that you are is a Christian who happens to live in Lincoln County or Kapai County or Wesson or the United States or however you want to put it, brothers and sisters. Our first identity should be that we belong to Christ. Now, let me give you a little bit of the background of the city of Corinth that, that I think will help us understand why Paul is saying this, and I also think it's going to make you more interested in hearing the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you started to doze off because I've been using words that we don't use, like sanctified and holy, come back to me for just a minute. So Corinth is a Roman city. It used to be a Greek city. When it was a Greek city, they said that it was the least Greek city of all the Greek cities. It is now a Roman province, or it's a capital of a Roman province, and they said that it was the least Roman of all the Roman provinces. Why? Because this city had a bunch of people who lived for themselves and nobody else. It was a diversified city. It had people from all over the world. It was a famous city. It was an important city. And so all these people wanted to do what they wanted to do. And so the, even though they lived in a Greek city, they didn't want to be Greeks. Even though they lived in a Roman city, they didn't want to be Romans. Very similar to what you and I deal with on a day-in, day-out basis, right? We live in a society of people who don't want to listen to anybody else. We live in a day and time when the prevailing message is you do you and I'll do me. Whatever is right for you is right for you, and whatever is right for me is right for me. That is these people. That is who he's writing to. He's writing to a bunch of people that lived in the same type of thing that we live in. Let me give you a description of the city of Corinth by Leon Morris, a scholar who wrote this. He said, The city to which Paul came preaching the gospel was then a very cosmopolitan place. It was an important city. It was intellectually alert, materially prosperous, but morally corrupt. There was a pronounced tendency for its inhabitants to indulge their desires of whatever sort. In the words of Von Dobschutz, so he's quoting somebody else here, the ideal of the Corinthian was the reckless development of the individual. The merchant who made his gain by all and every means... The man of pleasure surrendering himself to every lust. The athlete steeled to every bodily exercise and proud in his physical strength are the true Corinthian types. In a word, the man who recognized no superior and no law but his own desires. These are the people that Paul is writing to. Christian people that live 
in that type of world where everybody wants to do whatever they want to do. Whatever makes them feel good, no matter how it impacts others, no matter how terrible it may be for their neighbors, no matter how difficult it may make the society that they live in, they want to do what they want to do. Now, I know that whenever he starts talking about a, a capital city, a cosmopolitan city, a large city, you may say, well, Brother Zach, that's not us. Right? Weston and Brookhaven aren't huge metropolises, and they're not. But think about more than just the cities that we live in. Think about the culture that we live in. And I think you'll recognize that it's very similar to what we see here. Right? People that see themselves as important and intellectually alert and materially prosperous, but morally corrupt. People who recognize no superior and no law, but their own desires. Christian people living in the midst of very non-Christian people. Brothers and sisters, that's what our life is like. When you go to work, not tomorrow because it's Memorial Day, but when you go to work on Tuesday, right, whenever school starts back during the fall and you go to school, whenever you're hanging out with friends, whenever you're scrolling through your friend's stuff on, on Facebook, you're going to see a bunch of junk that is not good for you. When you're listening to the conversations of your coworkers, you're going to hear a lot of things that are not wholesome talk, right? You're going to hear a lot of jokes that are crude jokes. You're going to hear a lot of language that your mama would not be proud to hear you use. That's what we live in. That's what our life is like. People who do whatever they want to do. And here's what Paul's saying to them. He's saying, yes, this is where you live, but no, this is not how you should live. What he's saying to these Corinthians. He's saying, I know what Corinth is like. Paul said, I know what it's like. I've been there. I was with you for over a year living in that city. But here's what I'm telling you. You are not a Corinthian. You are a Christian. So even though all of your neighbors live that way, you don't live that way. Even though your family acts like that, you don't act like that. He says, you are sanctified, sinless. So live like it. You are holy and set apart. So live a life that makes it so that everybody can tell that you're set apart. So that everybody can tell that you are not here for yourself, but you are here for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, that's not a message that just the Corinthians needed. That's a message that I need. And that's a message that you need. And while we're going this summer through these texts in the book of 1 Corinthians, that's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear messages from a man who knew what these folks were going through, who knew that they were living in the midst of a bunch of sinful people, but was urging them not to live like their neighbors. And I think we desperately need to hear this. So he tells them here, be sanctified and sinless. Be holy, be set apart. Be noticeably different than the crowd around you. But there's another idea that we see here in, in verse 2. It's also going to be a theme, sub-theme throughout the book, and it's the idea of unity. Look back at verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So you can see there this bit of unity that he's calling them to, right? He's saying, not only are you Christians, but you are called to live like this along with, together with, all other Christians. 
And he reminds them that, that whenever somebody calls upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is both their Lord and ours. So we see some noticeable reminders here that the church should be unified, that we shouldn't be separated, that we shouldn't be split into groups. And then look down in verse 10 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul begins to address that in the church at Corinth. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So here, Paul is telling them, you need to be unified. You need to be together, right? You need to have a strong bond among you. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, we've talked about this idea a fair amount recently, this idea that, that we are all called to love one another, that the world should be able to tell that we are Christ's disciples because of the love that we have for each other. And now, I know that in our local body here at Mount Zion, this doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. I don't see a lot of schisms. I don't see a lot of, uh, of small groups. I don't see a lot of cliques here. I don't hear a lot of people saying, well, you know what, I really like the way we used to do things when Brother Chris was here, or I really like the way Brother Tim taught when he was here. I don't hear a lot of that. I don't see a lot of digital. So it might seem like, Brother Zach, why are we talking about this idea if it's not a big deal for us? Well, one because it's a reminder for us to make sure that this doesn't start. But it's also important that we be part of the unity of the church, not just in this body, but globally. Because here's what we do have nowadays. I told you uh, in just a couple weeks I'm going to go to the Southern Baptist Convention. And the Southern Baptist Convention seems to be as separated and as ununified and divisive as it has been possibly ever. And not just in the Southern Baptist Convention, but whenever we start talking about other Christian denominations. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that everybody that calls himself a Christian is a Christian. And that we have to be brothers and sisters and unified with them. There are groups, there are cults, even in our area, who do not believe the fundamental teachings of Christ from the Bible. And I'm not talking about those groups. But whenever we start talking about Methodists, or Presbyterians, or our charismatic brothers and sisters, when we start talking about other people that are truly Christian, who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be their Savior, and that are Christians, but who see some things differently than us, we can't talk about them like they are less than Christians. We should not spend all of our time arguing with those people. But in our world today, some of the things I'll say in just a moment, you may find a bit divisive. But brothers and sisters, I think we need to hear this. Because when we say things like, that person is a Christian Democrat, some of you would say, that's an oxymoron. That you cannot be both Christian and Democrat. And whenever we say that there are people that believe that you should baptize infants, that we want to say they are not Christian. Whenever we say, or whenever somebody tells us that you must speak in tongues, 
whenever you receive the Holy Spirit, it's easy for us to want to say, well, then you are clearly not a Christian. When somebody says, at my church, we have a female pastor, it's easy for us to say, then you are unorthodox and you are not a Christian. But brothers and sisters, here's what I want you to be reminded about. That on those things that we see differently, that whether you here this morning are reformed or not reformed, whether you here this morning believe that there will be a rapture of the church before the tribulation or you believe that we will still be here through the whole tribulation, whether you believe that there was only seven 24-hour days that creation took place in or you believe that God created everything over a longer period of time, that neither one of those positions disqualifies you from being a Christian. And whenever we start to talk about each other like those things do, then we've gone out of bounds. We've started to lose the unity of church. Now, I'll be clear, a lot of those things that I just said, I don't agree with them either. I don't think that you should baptize infants. I don't think the Bible teaches that. I don't think that women should preach. I don't think we could go through all of these. And so you and I, your friends and my friends, your co-workers and my co-workers may disagree on some of these things, but here's what I want you to hear. If somebody says that there is one God... He exists in the form of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but He is one God. He has existed forever, and He created all things. If they say that the person of that Trinity, Jesus Christ, left heaven and came to earth as God in human flesh and lived a perfect life and never sinned and died on the cross while paying the penalty for our sins and then rose from the dead and is still alive today. That he is in heaven, that faith in him, faith in Christ is the only way that anybody can be saved, and that this is truly God's word. Every bit of it is complete and true and accurate. If somebody believes that, I believe they are Christian. Even if we differ on the interpretation of some of the things in this word, if they believe those things, they are Christian. In my Bible study group this week, we were in John chapter 1. And in John 1.12, we read this. It says, But to all who did receive him, this is speaking of Christ, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Point two this morning. The church is called to be united under Christ. We're to be together, right? Paul says it clearly here. To those, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Their worship may look different than ours. Their interpretation on some secondary level things may be different than ours. But if they agree that Christ is God and Christ is Lord, then they're Christians and we should treat them as such. And brothers and sisters, the disunity in the church is not doing anything good for the glory of God. And the disunity of the church is not what we have been called to. And so again, you're talking about a church that's in the middle of a society where people argued all the time. Where everybody wanted their way. It wasn't a, a unified society. So in the middle of a society that said, you just don't agree with anybody, but if they don't do what you do, they're doing it wrong. He said, church, you don't need to look like that. 
You need to look different. Even if you disagree on some level things, if you agree on the important things, you're one family and you need to act like it. And even though you're living in the middle of a society that is sinful, as sinful as they can be, you don't need to do that. You don't need to give in to those lusts. You don't need to give in to those desires. You don't need to give in to those addictions. You don't need to give in to those habits. You are holy. God has chosen you to be His and has set you apart. And now we need to look like it and we need to live like it. And brothers and sisters, I believe fully that this is not just the church at Corinth, but this is us. We live in a divided society. There are, there are groups that aren't Christian, that aren't the church, that are just as, as similar as what I talked about the Southern Baptist Convention. It feels like the Republican Party is as divided as it's ever been, and the Democratic Party is divided as it's ever been. And there are groups that you've been part of and communities that are just as divided as they have ever been. And in the middle of a world where everybody is fighting with everybody, Christ calls us to be unified with all of his children. And it's hard, but we need to work towards it because it's what he's called us to do and it's what brings him glory. In the middle of society where you see your friends doing whatever they want and seeming like, man, it looks like they're having a lot of fun, Christ says those sinful things, they're not for you. You've been sanctified, you've been set apart, and we need to live like it. So this morning I ask you this question as we end. Who do you belong to? Do you belong to yourself and just do whatever you want? Are you the king of your castle? Are you the one that rules your life? Do you belong to the world? You want to impress the world so much, you want to fit in with the world so much that you're just going to do whatever they tell you to do? You're going to be whoever they tell you to be? Or do you belong to God through faith in Christ? And if so, then brothers and sisters... You need to do not what you want to do and not what everybody else wants you to do, but you need to do what God wants you to do. And if you're here this morning and you say, I've always just been myself, but I haven't recognized how much I needed to belong to Christ, I want you to know that He did come and He did die to make it available that you could become His. And if you have questions about that, how do I have faith in Christ? What does that mean? How do I go about that? And then in just a moment, we're going to have a, a time of response and invitation. And I'd love for you to come and ask me those questions. And let's set up a time. We don't have to, we won't sit here and play 30 verses of this song so that you and I can discuss it. But we can stay after. We can talk about it as long as you want to. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. And we are going to have a hymn of response. And as we sing, I want you to do what the Lord calls you to do. If that's to, to come and pray with me or pray by yourself, then do that. If that's to repent because you haven't been doing what you should be doing then do that. Or if that's just to sing out of joy in response to Him, then I want you to do that. But you do what the Lord calls you to as the praise team leads us in a hymn of invitation.